All right, well, it's been the customary five minutes. We'll go ahead and uh, crack this one open then. We got we got two chapters again this week. The, the first one is Trotsky just kind of accounting for explaining these underlying, well, I mean, literally the chapter is called Shifts in the Masses. So he's just talking about how the, the workers and soldiers are starting to shift more toward the Bolshevik side. And the second chapter has to do with the June demonstrations, which is kind of a culminating result of the masses kind of shifting over to the Bolsheviks. So, Panda, do you want to take a crack at summarizing which chapter? I'll, I'll leave the choice for you. Well, I, I would think that it's better to do things in chronological order, so I might as well start as summarizing chapter 21. Basically, for this chapter, Trotsky is, as you said, uh, he just makes a general recap that as desperation or growth in the masses and all that, they tend to achieve less words. Uh, or more accurately, their intentions are already to the left. But consider it that at Russia, out to like five months ago, was a, a which was an absolute monarchy, and up to 10 years ago, I think didn't have any kind of civilian parliamentary sham of a government before, it was even more, or absolute then. The people, people all were at the, you know, the intentions are for lunch issues, for complete and another for complete other progress and other tasks. Their teachers are there, but their actual knowledge of, of the intentions of the various politi political heroes and parties is their, their knowledge of whatever is possible or to do and all that. And they're not are quite there yet. So that's why the social revolutionaries, for example, can end up with like I think it was in this chapter that I said that they ended up with 60% of the Moscow uh, Duma, despite the fact that at even with every day that passes, the Bolsheviks get more and more people on their side because, quite simply, most people, all, all right, I tell in Russia, did even have have any political affiliations before or this is I, I think it just keep, it's a quite aware at the end of the chat I think I say hey, that what the worker just as Bolshevik or social revolutionary gave his vote to the Bolshevik party and you to study along with him the cabman the delivery man the janitor the market woman the shopkeeper his assistant the teacher in performance story, Horika did as giving the vote to the social revolutionaries for the first time I managed to political non existence. So, yeah, essentially, it was been happening for the last few months in the background is that at the masses in general have, like, now kind of uh, they realized that they want a socialism. The more advances. The more advanced parts of the class uh, uh, the industrial workers who have, have been involved in organizing since at least 
Opa, I with the idiots of attempts at a revolution, and as the soldiers who are quietly dot in a double situation, they literally had to face life and the situations of the daily adulta at their inclusive organization with the industrial workers. They are the ones who have by now can realize, okay, the SRs kind of fashion, the Mensheviks kind of fashion, the Bolsheviks are the ones, only ones where the reality and even to some extent, and the Bolsheviks are a little bit to the right, right to, of where a lot of the soldiers and a lot of the uh, nuclear workers are at this point. So, but at the same time, the Bolsheviks and the social revolutionaries are still in a upswing in terms of growth and other time because, you know, of the uh, less advanced and the less conscientious parts of the masses, they only realize okay, we want socialism, and these are the uh, socialism guys who, who, you know, I'm doing the world record because, you know, the state is controlled by those Bolsheviks and those SRs. After fighting the Bolsheviks, after, oh no, 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 these guys are too far to the left, the wreckers, the Germanesians and all that, so, you know, the, uh, the quote-unquote average person isn't going to go to them, at least not yet. Yeah, yeah, I think that's um pretty good, like, like you're saying, it just takes them time to experience after the socialist revolutionaries and the Mensheviks are in power to kind of uh, show show what they're doing, and then the workers are like, oh, uh, you know, the, even the less advanced layers can be like, oh, well, these guys just sanctioned the the June offensive and all that, and they're like, we 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 did all this to get away from the war, and now these guys are still doing it, so maybe the Bolsheviks do have a point. These these sort of slow shifts are taking place. One of the uh, one of the things I or one of the anecdotes from this chapter that I thought was important or that I liked was the um the incident in Kronstadt where the the Kronstadt sailors and their their Soviet is like a super advanced very very radical left um, Soviet and they've taken some of their officers as prisoners uh, I think it's like eighty eight or something like that and so they've got them locked up and the incident specifically is that. You know the Kronstadt Soviet has has declared its complete independence. They're like, nope, we're we're not a part of this two-power provisional government Soviet system. We are ruled by our Soviet. And I think uh, they they did this like earlier on, and so later on, the provisional government in Kronstadt is like, okay, you know, actually we're we're gonna respect the the provisional government's authority. We're we're gonna do that. And the Kronstadt Soviet replies, and they're like. Uh, you know, that's your opinion, man. Uh, we're going to keep doing our own thing. Uh, and that sends off a wave of backlash on the mainland, and the provisional government abroad and on the mainland is like, okay, we got to go crush the Kronstadt Soviet now. We're, we're going to send people in. And they had, like, a big trial, and Trotsky uh, was the defense for Kronstadt. And 
one of the the key things was that they wanted to release those those officers that were held at the Kronstadt prison, and the Soviets like, no, those are <laughs> those are officers that were, you know, czarist officers. We're not just going to release them out, you know. And basically, the the conclusion to the situation wound up being that Trotsky was able to concede the the practical issue of the officers releasing them, but keeping the the principle of the matter of the independence of the, and the power of the Kronstadt Soviet, basically just appeasing the provisional government at the moment, because they weren't quite yet at a point where they could um, take on the government of Russia as it existed with the Soviet power just yet, because the Soviets, other than the Kronstadt Soviet, basically, were still controlled by the Mensheviks and uh, SRs, so they weren't exactly interested at that point in overthrowing the provisional government. So to call for a struggle between the Soviet and the provisional government would just immediately lead to the Soviets handing power to the provisional government because they're ruled by the Soviets or the SRs and the Mensheviks. But I, I think that's um, a good little anecdote that you see a lot of, like the Kronstadters are always kind of like on the bleeding left edge, kind of along with the, the Viborg district workers. Yeah, and a little bit later, we should mention is that Kronstadt was a with a majority Bolshevik place in terms of, of, you know, the actual soldiers and all of that. And technically, the Bolsheviks were still a minority terrorists. They were a, a mortalized of most of the country. The difference is that, that even they mentioned the technical the technically, legally, officially, whatever term you want to use, was here. But even the people who were formerly in line with the, the Mensheviks of the SR, so were uh, also of the group or independent, and all of that, at, at a constant, a constant, constant, yeah, I'm going with that. There, they pretty much all follow the Bolshevik. In line, uh, which is something that uh, we need to emphasize the Bolsheviks were still in a very much a minority, the party officially had grown by uh, that much. Well, it has, has significantly grown, but officially, the growth didn't really reflect the uh, growth they had unofficially in terms of how much people were starting to align with their. It's lowest with their positions and all of that. And the Bolshevik light advanced to a, in a greater rate than the a Bolshevik manager is, so to say. Yeah, yeah, and that all starts to shift really hard, right? Especially what really did it was, was this June offensive that we talked about last time. So... That's basically what the, the next chapter is about. There was this uh, offensive organized and carried out. I call it the June offensive, but it was also taking place in May just because they, they tried to coordinate this offensive all at the same time, but because they couldn't coordinate and they couldn't get the different fronts to all attack at the same time, it happened over the course of a month, give or take. So I, I just call it the June offensive, but it really took place over the course of from May to June. So after the June offensive, the... The masses, soldiers, and workers are incensed. They're like, yo, we gotta do something about this. So they plan on having a mass demonstration in the capital 
uh, an announcement is made through the Bolshevik Pravda. The purpose of the demonstration, they're going to go demonstrate down and basically shake their fists at the Soviet. They're going to, their, their fighting slogans are to get rid of the 10 minister capitalists. They're not interested in overthrowing the government at this point. They're interested in getting the government to do what they want it to do because they still think that by getting the capitalists out of the government and making it an exclusively socialist government, a government of the Mensheviks and the SRs and the Bolsheviks instead of including the, the cadets, that they can finally end the war, that this is what needs to be done. Uh, so they make secret preparations for this demonstration because they're pretty sure that the SRs and Mensheviks are going to lose their mind when they figure out about this demonstration, which is what happens. They are concerned, the Mensheviks and SRs are concerned that this is a demonstration to overthrow the government, and they are going to respond as though they were going to do that, um, because the soldiers are going to come out, and the workers are going to be with them, and they're like, nope, they're going to overthrow the government, we've got to put this down as though it were like a real insurrection. And the Bolsheviks are like, okay, we're not ready for that kind of response yet, we're not ready to escalate yet, we need to kind of call call this movement off basically they they do this very with extreme difficulty they they kind of control the movement down and they're like okay let's let's not do this but it blows up in the faces of the compromisers the mensheviks and the srs who now are looking like egg on their face for trying to call off or for getting the bolsheviks to call off these demonstrations and they're like okay fine we're going to call our own demonstration. It's just going to be a peaceful demonstration. We're just going to parade through the place. And we're, we're going to see uh, who has more support. You know, the Bolsheviks have their slogans and the Mensheviks and the SRs have their slogans. So they're like, fine, let's do this. Let's see which slogans are more popular with the workers, you know. And they, they have the demonstration, and it is an overwhelmingly Bolshevik demonstration. Pretty much everybody who shows up is shouting Bolshevik slogans, raising up the banners with Bolshevik slogans on them. Other slogans get, like, taken down, banners get torn down, things like that. Um, I guess the detail I failed to mention is that in trying to call off the, the original... Uh, demonstration, the compromisers, the Mensheviks and SRs, had to send their representatives to the factory districts in order to calm down the workers and say, look, we really need to call these demonstrations off. And that was where a lot of the compromisers had first contact with like rank-and-file workers since a long time, and they realized how out of touch they were because these workers are like fuming mad that their demonstration is getting called off. So that was that was also important to kind of shake the confidence of the Mensheviks and SRs in their own program, where they they're thinking that you know the workers are on board with them because they've been elected to these positions. So of course they support us. But then when they go out to the factories to talk with the the workers at, at the point of production, they're like fuming mad that their demonstration is getting called off. So they're like, oh, we really don't have that much support and. The Bolsheviks are kind of constantly calling for new elections to the Soviets and things like that, because with each uh, consecutive election, the Bolsheviks are winning larger and larger shares of the vote. They're, um, the masses are really shifting over to the Bolshevik side by this point now. Uh, the thing that we, as you probably mentioned, is that the very next day after this 
demonstration that was cut off was meant to happen. So the demonstration was meant to happen on June 10th. Uh, the very next day, in the Union of the Soviet and all that, the, I, I think this guy was the leader of the Emenshevics. I can't remember at this point, and I'm not going to, to fact check. Let's just assume that he was a really important Said said Ellie, he pretty much tried to, oh, to see if he can get away with, you know, trying to get the Bolsheviks like legally evad and or maybe not to that extent but he said he in a, a speech free with race and all that he says we have to decide the Bolsheviks, we have to, to sanction them and we have to do this this and this to repress them uh it kind of a funny different the way that uh just keep it down it seems like he kind of I say the uh, quiet thing out loud because pretty much everyone else in the uh, grants obviously in the executive uh, in the executive committee and all of that and they look at him like okay how fucking how like like and uh, you know some I I'm not sure if someone in the a union mentions it, or if it's just he like to put it out. Yeah, the the Bolsheviks aren't officially armed. They don't have any armaments given to them or whatever. It's just that at the soldiers are armed, the, a lot of the workers are armed, a lot of the armed workers and pretty much a lot of the soldiers, they are same with the, the Bolsheviks. So you can't really dis- design the Bolsheviks because they don't have arms. You have to disarm the workers. You have to disarm the soldiers. And with what fucking force are you going to do that? Because of the only people willing to do that, that are the arch reactionaries. And those people are going to kill. He said, Ellie, they're going to kill at the main service. They're going to kill at the SR because to tend those, that kind of, of social uh, democrat as limp as in my sense into us, they're still way too fucking radical to them. And, and they, they will put all of them in, in the dungeons, they will, will kill them, they will, all put, they will be all put right, right back into high level, like I said, they were for the last decade or so. So, or the major weeks that the SRs have kind of put their stress in the catch 22 back. They're pretty much in the no win condition at this point. Either, either the Bolsheviks will eventually, you know, get power and get rid of them, uh, uh, political power, which is what ended up happening. Or the reactionaries could do that, and they would do the same thing, except that they would also be if I'm more interested, it also, you know, ending their lives and all of that. So, oh, they're in the, pretty much on the end of a position of trying to steer the ship or trying to make this world provisional government and Soviet dual power thing. They try to make this thing that isn't working in somehow work 
and it's not going to happen, but they also don't have any the alternatives. They kind of already the made the news they will end up being kind and uh, you know, oh, oh, they really in no good way they are for them. They're essentially fucked. Yeah, that's kind of the trouble with them is that they're not actually they're trying to mediate between two classes rather than like actually be on one side or the other and because the the classes have fundamentally antagonistic interests and they're in the middle of a revolution you can't mediate those interests at this point it's it's one side or the other you know someone's going to have the ball you can't share the ball one person gets the ball or the other person gets the ball um that's that's just how it goes so like you said they're they're either going to get ousted by the bolsheviks which they do or they're going to get ousted and then killed by some form of reactionaries whether that's kornilov's affair or someone else you know it could be denikin could be kolchak one one of the any other russian generals that winds up taking a crack at it it's pretty unenviable position uh i don't recommend it you should probably choose your side at one point or another (laughs) But but these people genuinely thought they could ride two horses at the same time, kind of thing, and it uh, it just didn't didn't work that way. Uh, you mentioned oh, that uh, you cannot not to choose a side. You know, that's what they was did. It uh, I think that uh, we are always if it has mentioned it the chapters, and I'm pretty sure that we it will in future was that. And you know, uh, a lot of the left. The left flanks of the Mensheviks are kinda, and you know, all saying, okay, hey, we equated in this party, clearly on the losing side, we're moving into the Bolsheviks, there's also the future uh, uh, SI split into the left and the right SI, and all that. The, the smarter ones, I kinda see the right in the world, and those who can, you know, Oh, oh, they, uh, so, so I don't know if I voice of it's another because of the smart people, only it does. Or social democrat artists, they cannot see how they will display it, and they cannot understand, okay, we need to push on one of the two sides that can possibly win this. Yeah, yeah. And that, that kind of, uh, complaint against the, the Mensheviks and SRs doesn't apply so much to like the general working class population as they emerge into political life. It's not that like you know in voting for the Mensheviks and the SRs, it's not as though the the working class is trying to take a middling course. They're just not. They're they're kind of taken in with with the Mensheviks and SRs, so to speak. They're they're not aware just yet that the Mensheviks and SRs are not going to be able to deliver peace or land or bread or whatever uh it it takes them a little while to experience the struggle and realize oh the only people actually fighting for this are are the bolsheviks and later the the left srs uh yeah to to do like uh more type of analogy if uh anyone listening to this can think of the people who vote for the uh mensheviks or the srs are kind of like the people who who seem, seem really well intentioned, but they, they vote for the Democrats or they, they shun the DSA in the US or the people 
people who were uh, really into COVID in the day. Uh, you get a back when a label seemed like it was going to turn into more of a social democrat kind of party, or he, even in Argentina, the kind of people who, who vote for a justicialista party, he would eat the full commission that I will help the man to turn out that. Probably, if you see and commerce, will say the same about the people who, who were really in pinning out of the hopes of the new and all of that. You know, we, we can understand who would be the uh, modern equivalent of the uh, Menshevik and the uh, SARS. Yeah, and in, in the same vein, it kind of represents that opportunity to, uh, as Lennon says, patiently explain to those workers that, you know, no, it's not actually the Mensheviks and SRs that are fighting for your interests. You know, we, we can show you examples. Look, they've done this June offensive. Look, they're not giving the land to the peasantry. Look, they want to free the czarist officers. And we, the Bolsheviks, do not. If if we get power, we're going to do these other things, you know. And we can, you know, like, you, you can make these explanations. You can point to the actions and be like, look, okay, we, we need to do something different. And that's what we want to do. They have their demonstrations for these things and so on and so forth. And, and that's how you slowly, I say slowly, but of course this happened over the course of 1917. So it happened within one year. Um, Trotsky mentions that that's one of the, the big benefits of a revolution is that everybody is looking at the events that are happening and that people learn quickly during a revolution. Um, a lot of things change very rapidly, including people's uh, awareness and consciousness and opinions on, on different things. So if you can call attention to those things and point out the fact that, you know, you're they're not struggling for what you want them to be struggling for, you need to, to join a party that's actually going to struggle for what you want, then that's how you kind of win them over and how the Bolsheviks wind, wound up doing that. But uh, let's see, I'm looking back through the chapter. I'm not sure there's anything else I wanted to bring up from this one or these two either. Well, I cannot agree with you. It seems like we covered the answers of both chapters pretty well, but since we are working on this, let's just bring up a couple of, of good or uh, quote unquote go over uh, phrases or, or the, is that quote unquote it's just a writing because, for example, in chapter 21, just let me. If I need real quick. Okay, so let's let's do with this one paragraph from chapter twenty one and see if you uh, who see the same thing that I noticed. The peaceful settlement of the conflict left the bourgeois press completely beside themselves. The anarchy in the fortress, the constants, printing their own money, fantastic specimens of it were reproduced in the papers. 
They are plumber is type property. The women are nationalized. Robert is and John Kerosi are in progress. The sellers, so proud of the obscure order, doublet their horny feet on ready the is papers which in millions of copy were distributed slated selected to all of Russia. Uh, now Yeah, the the horny fists, yeah. Yeah. I, I was about to say I'm not sure if English had already kind of taken that minute for the word horny, but yeah, horny fits like the very next sentence after I'm talking about how there were charges against the sailors for doing orgies and all of that. Kind of a, you know, kind of pressing. Yeah, that's kind of music. Yeah, obviously that's not um what Trotsky means. Um, but that's that's pretty funny. Um. Yeah, yeah. I I assume he meant like horror, like you know, how a how an orc or another fantasy creature would have a horn fist. You know, to say that it was intimidating and all of that. But you know, it reads a different. It reads differently in the world. Now the other thing that I wanted to. Un point out this technically not something that Jerry wrote, just something he's quoting uh, Lenin on. At the end of the last paragraph in chapter 22, Ukis says, On the 25th, Lenin writes, This universal welfare of fight and rage against the Bolsheviks. It's a common complaint of cadets, social revolutionaries, and Mensheviks against their own leaders. They are in a majority. They are the government. They are together in a block. And they see that nothing comes of it. What can they do but rage against the Bolsheviks? Now, this is not something inherently funny, but to me, it's just like a lady doing the very fancy, very eloquent, very beginning of the 20th century of, you know, posting in a chat and vision in meme with the Bolsheviks as the chat and the SRs, the cadets and the Bolsheviks interventions. I just imagine it like a, a, a Twitter post, the chat Warshak a Bolshevik, the right the, say you are in the government and I just he can't do anything about me and you know at the at the mission workshops at the SR because there's some messages just raising about it. It 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 the Bolsheviks are essentially the a a schoolyard bully who has eaten all of their lunches and they can't do anything about it. Really yeah, it's some uh, grade A trolling by Lennon right there. There, I, I looking back over some of the stuff you were bringing up. There was something from chapter twenty one that was also pretty interesting too. Um, earlier on in the chapter, basically all of the different owners of factories and stuff like that are threatening a mass lockout, but they can't go on lockout all at one time. Because it's too obvious what they're doing. They're they're doing it for political reasons, basically. So they're like, 
you know, if if things keep going like this, if we keep having this revolution, we're we're gonna start running out of supplies, and factories are gonna start closing down one by one. And they're basically just telling the factory owners, "Look, guys, uh, let's start closing down one by one since we can't do it all at one time." And so they start doing that. They start locking the workers out. They start saying, "Look, sorry, can't do production. Uh, it's just not enough materials and stuff." And the Soviets start investigating, and they're like, what are you talking about? There's all this stuff over here. There's there's actually no need to close these factories down. So a lot of factories got reopened, um, but the provisional government and the Soviet was kind of compelled to take control of certain sectors of industry and regulate production and control things and, and set prices and uh, wages and so on and so forth. And Lenin writes a thing, and he's like, this is a great program that these guys have done. This is a program of frightful Bolshevism. Like, they're, they're, they're being forced to take these positions that they don't want to take just because the material circumstances compel them that the only way production can happen anymore is if it is now controlled and planned. Because if it is done on the capitalist basis, then the capitalists are like, uh, no, we're just not going to do it, as a matter of fact. Because we're not really in control anymore, so we're not going to uh, run production anymore. So they're basically just forcing the, the government, uh, the Mensheviks and the SRs, even though they don't want to, to have to take control of production, plan it, and, you know, they're, they're starting to set up a socialist economy against their will, more or less. Yeah, yeah, it, it really, obviously, it, it, you, you know, of course, or this is literally... It's all the different investors perspective, but as someone who was as in the within side of that, so oh, oh we have to oh, oh, know like that as a some way that I make it clear what it looks like that but let me the the more that we read it the more that it seems out out there it was pretty much impossible or for the Bolsheviks to perform this because Man, everyone the Europe against really doesn't know what the fuck to do about them. Yeah, it's going to make uh, the next kind of section interesting because the the question starts being, and Trotsky raises it explicitly, he's like, in July, you know, all the masses are starting to come over to the Bolsheviks. Why did the Bolsheviks not take the power sooner? Why why did they not do that? Like now that everybody's kind of on their side, now that things are kind of running in their channel, why 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 did they not? And uh, that'll be, I don't know if that's the the next couple of things we're reading, but I'm pretty sure it is. Oh, actually, that's really uh, funny. The next thing is the conclusion, so uh, that's the end of Volume 1. We'll, we'll do the appendices next, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, okay, seeing as we're pretty much done with Chapter 21 and 22, I was going to ask about that. So uh, next week, it, it will be conclusion and the world appendix things, right? Well, next week will be fall break, so everybody has time uh, to yeah, yeah. catch up. But you know, yeah. Let me take okay, a look okay, at okay. length. Okay, so, uh, the next time that we have attack and all of that, we'll be just closing up volume one, right? 
Yeah, we can do that because we can do the conclusion and then all three appendices. And there's also a nice chronological table, which we don't have to discuss, but might be useful to look at. But yeah, we can do all, f all four of those because they're all pretty short, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, I assume that uh, there will be a chart. Imagine an appendix being low. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that we're probably on, like, uh, you know, I don't think that there was anything else that would that stood up from these two chapters. As, uh, the only other thing in the kind of rang my bell was the word mentioned of Kolchak. I think that this is the first time and he's mentioning this book as someone to who keep track of, but of, I'm assuming that he's not going to be relevant and for a while, uh, and you know, oh, oh, he's, he's pretty much just another a corner of a data. We don't have to really pay much attention to the um, military guards. So, for the purposes of authority issues, generic rhyme with military guard, right? Yeah, pretty much. Like you said, you can kind of like replace Kornilov, Kolchak, Dinikin, all, all those people wind up playing some kind of counter-revolutionary role, whether or not they're a civil war general or if they're like Kornilov trying to do an insurrection against or a counter-revolution against, against the uh, government at the time. They're all kind of interchangeable like that. Yeah, yeah, like, unless a reactionary is very particular in terms of eccentricity, like Mussolini, India, like was, they're pretty much all the fucking same guy. Just generic, ho, 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 I'm a military man, I don't know why I say ho, 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 like I'm fucking Santa Claus or whatever, but you get the idea. Eric is qualified as NPCs. Yeah, pretty much. Alright, well, I guess uh, we'll, we'll call that conclusion of discussion, eh? Seems good to me. Sweet. What about you, Juice? Well, take care, everybody. I think our comrade fell asleep. Ah, just a little thing. No, you know, <laughs> I'm, no, no I'm, I'm good. Yeah, it was a good discussion. Thanks for letting me listen in. <clears throat> As I frantically like, hit my phone, I'm like, no, no, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> that was a good discussion. Thanks for letting me listen in, guys. Yeah, no worries. Take care. Okay, okay, that was good. Uh, so, so the team in Rodley, there's, but I'm pretty sure that there's no real chance of me missing the uh, capital discussion tomorrow. Sadly, I, I, will, I would have liked the excuse, but there's a potential a possibility that I might not contribute much because I might have to be on a call at the same time time as I'm participating. Just, just letting you know beforehand. Yeah, no worries, that's cool.
Okay, that's fine. Have a good uh, 24 hours before we, we have to do that shit. Word.